Bar in the United States of America. Once again, you're listening to the Paul McGuire Report. On today's program, I want to give you a prophetic update as to what exactly is happening in the United States of America and around the world. So let's start with the first foundational premise. The first foundational premise, of course, is that the so-called mainstream media, and they are only mainstream because they are owned by the three gigantic globalist corporations that own literally everything in America, the European Union, and, and planet Earth. So what we have here is a situation where just three gigantic globalist corporations essentially own the entire world. Now, more specific than that, these three giant corporations literally own 99% of the Earth's wealth, corporations, resources, gold, silver, money, real estate, whatever has worth, whatever has value, they own it or whatever's going to have value in the future, they own it. These three corporations, these mega corporations. Now, nobody knew about this until relatively recently. I, I announced this to the listeners of the Paul McGuire Report probably a year, um, I don't know, maybe less than a year. So let's just say around a year. I announced to you around a year ago the reality that these Three giant globalist corporations owned the entire world system. Now, that's heavy, but it's true, and it's documented. And I have the documentation in my book, Power From On High. In Power From On High, I list the three corporations. I, I have a chapter where I talk about them and what they do and what their power is. And they are the three globalists elite corporations that own the world. Now, I can remember going back decade after decade after decade in my life, where during different seasons of my life, in, in different careers in my life, different careers in my wife's life or friend's life, I distinctly remember talking to, hearing presentations, and even occasionally putting money away uh, for, you know, something like an IRA or retirement or whatever. Now, um, I, I made a decision. I'm not saying that this is what you should do. This is the decision I made. I made the decision to, uh, in the money that a lot of people invest in retirement, uh, I invested in the kingdom of God, this ministry, uh, Paul McGuire Ministries, Paradise Mountain Church, uh, and, and things of that nature. Now, the reason I did that is, is because that is what God told me to do, okay? I'm not saying that's what God is telling you to do. God told me to do that, so I, I did that. Am I rich today? No. Uh, am I happy? <laughs> yes, I'm very happy. I'm very fulfilled, because there's nothing more fulfilling than walking in the center of God's will and doing what God tells you to do. So. My investment, and again, I'm not trying to, to manipulate anybody to, to do something that God is telling you to do. You need to hear from God yourself. But God told me to, to uh, well, first of all, he told me to diversify uh, any investing or retirement, because a basic principle in the Word of God is that you're supposed to divide up your investments. Um, 
and that's a, a biblical formula. But every person has to do what the Lord is telling them to do. So since I was giving all of my money and quite a bit more into the ministry, into the church, Paradise Mountain Church, into the outreach, uh, I mean, I gave everything uh, to that. And, and the reason I gave everything to that is because, in my mind, the situation was and the situation still is of such gravity that, at least for me, uh, I, I couldn't justify in my heart and mind doing anything less. Now, again, I'm not saying this for the purpose of manipulation. I'm just saying you have to do what God tells you to do. And before you do what God tells you to do, you better make sure you have wisdom or you're going to be manipulated by emotion. And that's not a good thing. Okay, so uh, in, in, in the book Power from One High, I deal with, uh, well, I deal heavily with, it's interesting, whenever I write a book, it, it, it's a number of months later where it's almost like what I said in the book suddenly comes to life in a new or fresh way. And that would be true of Power from On High. Uh, not that long after I wrote Power from On High, I'm looking at chapters in it right now. And it's interesting. Uh, although I've written 46 books and I've dealt with Israel and earthquakes and stuff like that before, I wrote about it in a fresh way in the book because the Lord directed me to. So in Power from On High, and it's in numerous places of the book. But let me just read you something, because it applies to today. Now, Power From On High came out. I forgot when it came out. The copyright date on, on when I wrote it was, uh, where is the copyright? 2022. So I'm going to read you what I wrote in 2022, okay, regarding Power From On High. And so let me read it to you. Chapter 13, living in the subchapter is living in the epicenter of the Northridge earthquake. Although we had experienced many earthquakes, this was beyond anything we had ever experienced before. On January 17, 1994, at 4.30 a.m., our house started violently shaking, and my wife grabbed our three kids um, like a bionic woman and began running out the door. Then a deafening roar went out. I went off, uh, and the house began to rock back and forth with an apocalyptic intensity. I helped her get out of our and our family get out of the front door and into the cul-de-sac where we live. Then I talk about how all my unsaved neighbors ended up coming to the end of the block where our cul-de-sac was, uh, and they you know brought chairs and warm coats and blankets and flashlights and radios and stuff. And we just we just spontaneously gathered on the very end of the cul-de-sac where I live. And, and we talked about what had happened. We were trying to analyze what had happened. And when we turned on the radios, none of the radios, AM or FM, had any signal whatsoever. Then uh, about three or four of them at different time periods came up to me out of the blue, I, I didn't even know they knew I wrote books on Bible prophecy or I was a Christian author. I, I didn't know they knew what I did. And they came up to me and they said, Paul, are these the signs of the time that Jesus Christ talked about? 
and they were referring to the earthquake that we just endured. And some of them barely got out by the skin of their teeth because one neighbor right next door to me, when you walked into his house after the earthquake, which went on with aftershocks for months, when you walked in his floor, his, I don't know what it was, um, his house, including the foundation, was split in two. And when you looked in the crack on the floor of his house, which was about two and a half feet wide, you could see, like, it seemed like forever, you could see down into the depths of the earth because his house split in two from the seismic shakes. Um, and, and so this, this was a pivotal super sign for me. I had written a number of books on Bible prophecy, but I moved from, well, I read a lot of books on Bible prophecy. I had written a couple of books on prophecy, but I decided to devote my energy and time to really diving into Bible prophecy because of this Northridge earthquake. And of course, our house was right on top of one of the dual epicenters. A dual epicenter is the, the center of the most powerful magnitude. The center of the most powerful shaking is, is called the epicenter. The epicenter was somewhere in uh, Northridge. But this was a weird earthquake. This earthquake had entirely two separate and distinct epicenters. One was within, was in Earth, uh, Northridge, and the other part of the dual epicenter was in Santa Clarita, where I lived at the time. So we lived, our house was right on top of the major release of seismic power. And it was intense. It was like a, it was like a gigantic railroad train smashing through our house, you know, traveling at about 80 miles an hour, uh, full blast. So, now, I had people walking up to me I never met in my life, I'd never talked to, there was no reason for them to walk up to me, but I'd be like in a Kinko's coffee shop or whatever, and some person would walk up to me that I had no idea who they were, and they'd say, as they looked at uh, the ceiling falling in on, on, on the store, they looked at me and they said, out of the blue, out of the middle of nowhere, they looked at me and they said, do you believe that these are the signs of the times that, that Jesus Christ talked about? Out of the blue, they asked me, "Is are these the prophetic signs of Jesus Christ? Of course, in every interaction, I told them that, yes, I believe that these were the signs of the times that Jesus Christ talked about. And in and the, and the aftershocks, you know, I had an insane commute to begin with. But after the, the aftershocks, uh, you know, sometimes in the beginning, Days after the aftershocks, I could have literally crawled to work faster than taking a car or a train to work, because because the massive freeways which you've seen on television news they had broken in two or broken in three parts, and the, the massive freeways, not all that far from where I live, collapsed. And so it took them over a year, about a year and a half, to repair not only those freeways collapsed, but the freeways you would drive on, these massive six-lane freeways, seven-lane freeways, they collapsed in and, in and upon themselves. And so you couldn't drive them. And so it took them about a year and a half to two years to repair. During a significant time of this repair period, 
in order me for me to get to work and then drive back home, which was at that time not that big of a distance, I would have to drive all the way, all the way out of where I was. I'd have to take the, the, the it's the one twenty six and take the one twenty six all the way down to where the Lincoln, not Lincoln, where the Ronald Reagan Library was, and then take two lane dirt road which winded on the cliffs of a mountain. I'd be taking this road riding the cliffs of the mountain. And then I to get home I would have to overshoot where I lived to the north by about an hour. And then I would have to come back in to where I lived as if I was literally coming from the other direction. So the whole the whole thing would take no exaggeration. Sometimes 12 hours a day. No, not sometimes. There was a period of time where it took 12 hours a day. All I did was drive and get to work. And, you know, it was crazy. And many other things happened. Anyway, that got my attention. Uh, because when your house almost collapses and your neighbor's houses are broken into, et cetera, you recognize that, hey, guess what? Hey, Paul, the signs of the times are really starting to happen. They're, they're happening. Now, in, in that chapter on earthquakes, I go in my book, Power From On Eye, immediately to the following page. And I want to read you what I wrote. And I want to pay, I'd like you to pay attention to the sequence of events that I write about in my book, Power From On Eye. So there's lots of signs of the times stuff that you've never read before in the opening parts of the book. And then you have uh, on the page exactly following the earthquake page. Let me read what the, the, the chapter heading is, and then I'll read some of the book to you. Chapter heading: God's prophetic super sign and the rebirth of Israel, 1948. The 1948 Arab-Israeli War was the second and final stage in the 1947-1949 Palestine Palestine War. It formally began at midnight on May 14, 1948, when the Israeli Declaration of Independence was issued earlier that year, and as such, Israel was miraculously reborn as a nation in 1948. Genesis 15, 18-21. So this is predicted supernaturally in Bible prophecy. There's no other way that the Word of God could, could give us a supernatural prophecy of precisely what's going to happen in the future the way God did in, in Genesis. So this is what the Spirit of the Lord writes in Genesis 15, 18-21. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, Canaanites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Gigashites, and Jebusites. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, as, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be called the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God. 
and the God of your descendants after you, the whole land of Canaan, which by the way, eventually Canaan, Canaan was Canaan when it was dominated by the pagan tribes like the Hittites and the Jebusites. When the children of God, the biblical God, when they took possession of Canaan, um, it, it, it was then given to the children of Israel as an everlasting possession. So God is telling his people that he's going to give them, um, he's going to establish his covenant as an everlasting covenant between God and the descendants of the children of Israel or the physical descendants of Abraham. And then God finishes that promise by saying, I will give as an I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. I will be their God. This is powerful stuff. So summary, God gave the land of Canaan, the promised land, which eventually became all of Israel. He gave the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession to the children of Israel and to the the physical descendants of Abraham after you. And I will be their God. This is powerful. So we know what this says. The true real estate owner of planet Earth is God Almighty, the biblical God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God decides by his sovereign will that he has chosen with his sovereign will to grant or, or bequeath or give to uh, all the physical descendants of the children of Israel. He gives to them as an everlasting covenant, which means uh, a covenant that never ends. He gives it to them, and it becomes their, the children of Israel, their everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. So so all this stuff about, well, does Hamas own the land or does uh, whoever owns the land, it's all secondary. Because the primary source for all authority in life, the primary source is the fact that it is God Almighty that created us. It is God Almighty that owns all the land, and he is the creator of planet Earth. And because God is King of kings and Lord of lords, he owns, he rules over all the geography of planet Earth. And it is his will, and it is his right as King of kings and Lord of lords to to give the land of Israel away to any nations or tribes that he deems that he wants to. And so he does it. And mankind and humanism may not like that, but they don't like a lot of things that God says. And, and you know, you can, have, you can get angry and mean and everything else and toss around the, the verbiage of accusing somebody of being a Zionist or whatever. But you see, there's a basic problem in the arguments against uh, the fact that God gave the, the Jews the everlasting covenant of the physical descendants of Israel. The basic problem is that God gave them the land as part of his sovereign grace, his unmerited favor, not because they were special, holy, perfect, or better than anybody else. The parallel truth is in the New Testament, where God Almighty saves anybody who will come to him and put their faith in him. Okay, then I write the 1967 Six-Day War. 
The 1967 Six-Day War had broken out to reclaim Israel. The United States proposed a resolution that would grant a state to the Palestinians and would take East Jerusalem away from Jerusalem and give it to the Palestinians, which prophetically had amazing significance. Then I write, Jesus Christ said these words in the book of Luke, quote, And they will fall by the edge of the sword. They will be led captive into all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So here's another major biblical truth, and that is, this is a prophetic truth from Almighty God. And so I'm going to read it to you again. In the book of Luke, Jesus Christ said these words, And they will fall by the edge of the sword, and they will be led captive into all the nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled, Luke 21, 24. Okay, so, so the prophetic promises um, that the Jews, because they are, they are in disobedience and idolatry to God, um, they are going to endure the chastisement of God, and it is destined for the Jews that they will fall by the edge of the sword, and that they will be led captive into all the nations, and then finally Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, so this is a prophetic statement from God saying that because of the disobedience, the rebellion, the, the immorality, the, the transgressions, the idolatry, the breaking of God's laws and commandments, because of all of these things collectively, the nation of Israel is under the chastisement or the punishment of Almighty God. And so, a, as their punishment, the, 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 the Jews will fall by the edge of the sword, the Jews will be led captive into all the nations across all the earth, Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So what this means, this, this is fulfilled in a big way when the, the Roman general Titus, along with the heavily armed, heavily trained Roman troops, uh, in an effort to placate the Jewish leaders, they marched upon, the Roman soldiers and generals marched upon Jerusalem, and they proceeded to rip to shreds the, the ancient temple of Jerusalem. And this was one of the world's greatest spiritual temples. In part, it was constructed by uh, King Solomon. It, it was composed of jewels and gold and precious woods. It was, it was one of the wonders of the world. And... Um, as punishment for the idolatry of the Jews, as punishment in part uh, for rejecting their Messiah, Jesus Christ, even though other nations also rejected their Messiah, Jesus Christ. They, they, they were predicted, and, and it was prophesied, that they would fall by the edge of the sword, then they would be led captive into all the nations. So after the Roman soldiers conquered the Jews and and took over and seized by violent warfare, the Roman soldiers seized by violent warfare the, the city of Jerusalem, 
and the temple area. So they not only seize the, the city of Jerusalem, they tore down brick by brick the entire city of Jerusalem, and then they tore down and ripped to shreds the, the temple area, which was located in the city of Jerusalem. It was decimated, and it was decimated so violently that the, the temple of the Jews was burnt to the ground. It was superheated with fire. It, it was set on fire. The intensity of the heat and the fire as the Ro Roman soldiers laid siege to it was, was so, was like a blast furnace. And so the interior of the temple of the Jews contained massive quantities of precious gold and jewels and silver that were used uh, for the purpose of holy ornaments, uh, uh, holy vessels that were commanded by God to be made out of gold and precious metals. But because the Roman soldiers superheated up uh, the temple, what happened was is that literally the heat inside the temple was so superheated that it literally melted all the gold, all the silver, all the, the precious ornaments that were inside of the temple melted because of the heat when the G German soldiers laid siege to it. And, and you know, in those cracks between the bricks and the, and, and the rocks that, that formed the streets around the temple, you would see, a witness would see, the literal rivers of melted gold. So there would be rivers of melted gold running down the cracks of the pavement of where the temple once, once was, as the Romans ransacked the temple, as the Romans slaughtered the Jews, raped the women. And then finally, the Roman soldiers gathered all the Jews in Jerusalem and, 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 and arrested all the Jews who were trying to fight for the temple in ancient Israel. And when they did this, they then, the Roman soldiers then began to slaughter and behead all the Jewish soldiers and the Jewish women. They were slaughtered, they were beheaded, the, the gold was melted in the temple, and all of this was predicted and prophesied supernaturally by God before it happened. This is heavy stuff, man. There's no other history book in the history of the world that has any capacity whatsoever to prophesy and predict the future with 100% accuracy. And so here's the key part of the verse, the prophetic verse, and they will fall by the edge of the sword, that happened when the Romans beheaded them, and will be led captive into all the nations. So, so the Roman soldiers burned their temple down, and then they uh, arrested them and held them as their captives. And as they were made the captives of the Roman soldiers, uh, they were led into all the surrounding nations as they were conquered, and Jerusalem, which is where the temple was, it says in Luke, will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So what God is saying prophetically is that Jerusalem and the temple in Jerusalem will be so overwhelmed by the military force of the Roman soldiers that it will uh, uh, it will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. 
So if you look at this historically, and you see that the Jews were captured, they were made captives, the Roman soldiers burned down the temple and melted the gold, the Roman soldiers captured the Jews, and then they made them captives, and then the Roman soldiers, as they ransacked uh, the temple in Jerusalem, the Roman soldiers receded to arrest all the Jewish men and women, and then they had giant sailing ships, giant Roman sailing ships, and they began to abduct and capture all the Roman, uh, they began to abduct and capture all the Jewish soldiers, the gold, the women, and then the, the Jewish, the, the Roman soldiers not only captured the, the Jews, but they methodically sold the Jews into slavery and shipped the Jews by mighty sea vessels. They shipped the Jews all over to the four quarters of the world. So the Jews went into captivity. This was prophetic. The Jews went into captivity and were shipped as slaves and as captives to every nation on earth and to all the quarters of the earth. They were sold into brutal, horrible slavery. Now, this selling of the Jews into brutal, horrible slavery is known as the diaspora, where they were dispersed, and they were dispersed. And as it says in Bible prophecy, the Jews were dispersed from the promised land for over 2,000 years. Let me repeat that. The Jews were dispersed by the Roman soldiers from the promised land. They were uh, exiled from the nation of Israel for over 2,000 years. They, they were held captive for over 2,000 years, and they were not allowed to return to their land for over 2,000 years. So that's what you call, biblically, a 2,000-year uh, disbursement of the Jews. Now, this fulfills supernaturally Bible prophecy, because after the Jews were led captive into all the nations, and Jerusalem was trampled underfoot by the Gentiles, the Romans, of course, were the Gentiles, Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So what this means is that God is behind all of this, and then what this means is approximately 2,000 years later, when the Jews were finally allowed to return to Jerusalem, after 2,000 years of, this, of, of being dispersed, um, there came a change after World War II, after Hitler was defeated. Now, mirac supernaturally and miraculously, the Jews were there was a global world change where the Jews were now allowed back into Jerusalem, Israel, and they were allowed back into the possession of their temple. So, because the Jews were allowed back into their land after 2,000 years, this was the supernatural fulfillment of, of the biblical prophecy which predicts that Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So, when did this happen? The Jews were horribly treated, abused. This was like unheard of. 
The Nazis, which were Satanists and occultists, the Nazis hated the Jews. And the Nazis uh, uh, had such a satanic hatred for the Jews that the Nazis and the Nazi German government arrested as many Jews as they could. They put them in concentration camps. And once inside the concentration camps, the, the Nazis burned alive uh, the Jews inside of giant uh, ovens where they burned their bodies alive. And then the Nazis escorted the Jews into uh, the, the infamous gas chambers where they were poisoned to death using uh, uh, poisonous gases like Zyklon B, poisonous gases. And the Jews went in there naively thinking that they were going to turn on the showerhead and take a nice warm shower. But when they looked up at the showerhead, they saw uh, a demonic steam uh, coming out of the showerhead, and they, they couldn't breathe. They began to instantly suffocate inside of the gas chambers, because the real, real reason for the design of the gas chambers was to make it a killing machine and slaughter millions of Jews. So the sum total of Jews and Protestants and others that were slaughtered to death by the gas chambers under the direction of Adolf Hitler was approximately like 34 million people were gassed to death by the Jewish Nazi Satanist scientists. They were gassed to death, and they were mass murdered. And and 34 million, including Jews and non-Jews, went through what history uh, records as the Holocaust, in which their bodies were incinerated while they were alive, in which their bodies were gassed to death. And for anybody who would say this didn't happen, I would say that person's a raving idiot. I grew up, and as a very, very young boy growing up in Jackson Heights, Queens, which was predominantly a Jewish neighborhood, I was introduced as a very young boy to numerous concentration camp victims who uh, their grandparents or parents had escaped the concentration camps and the Holocaust in Nazi Germany. And uh, they would show you the hideous green-blue dyed numerical tattoo number that was etched into their bodies until they died. So I would talk to these grandmothers and grandfathers who were quite old, and they would tell me firsthand or through a translator like their grandkids or, or, or children or whatever, they would tell me of the realities and the horrors that occurred inside the concentration camps. And then they would always show me, and I never forgot what they looked like, they would show me the physical dark blue-green tattoos that were etched into their body, and the tattoos represented a numerical code uh, by which uh, any German soldier, etc., could instantly identify them as concentration camp prisoners, their name, you know, their serial number, and basic information about them. So yes, without any doubt, the Holocaust occurred. I saw the victims of the Holocaust. I talked to them. And although I was raised an atheist, it, 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 it made an indelible imprint in my mind. 
Okay, so, um, so in 1948, Israel. Okay, let's start here. Um, the 1948 Arab-Israeli War was the second and final stage in the 1947-1949 Palestinian War. It formally began at midnight on May 14, 1948, when the Israeli Declaration of Independence was issued earlier that day. As such, Israel was miraculously reborn as a nation in 1948. Again, in Genesis 15, 18-21, it says again that God promises to give to the physical descendants of Abraham. God promises to give to Abraham's physical descendants this land, which is the land of Canaan, also known as the land of Israel, from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Gigashites, and Jebusites, all pagan tribes whose DNA and genetics goes right up to modern day with the Philistines and many of the Islamic nations. Okay, so we talked about how God, uh, in the presence of God, Abram fell face down, and God supernaturally gave Abram and Sarah a supernatural sign of the fulfillment of God's covenant with the physical descendants of Abraham. And it says, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you a very I will make you very fruitful. I will make the nations of you, and the kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. What generations? All the generations of which only God Almighty knows the exact count. The nations that will eventually uh, become the, the land of Israel. Okay? Um, I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants, after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of the, the descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, again, is the whole land of Israel, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give you as an everlasting possession. Everlasting possession means what it says, everlasting, to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. And I write, the 1967-day war. I'll pause on this. We'll pick this up later. But the 1967-six-day war is a war that had broken out uh, where the Jews rebelled against what they perceived to be illegal Islamic rule. And the purpose of the 1967 Six-Day War was to reclaim the nation of Israel. And my friend General Shimon Aram was, the, was one of Israel's most prominent and prestigious generals who, who was actually physically there during that conflict and during many other major conflicts involving the nation of Israel. And he spent hours telling me stuff you don't read in history books, the inside story, the inside story. 
of the nation of Israel. So what does this say? This says that Bible prophecy comes true. There's no other book written in human history, in the history of the world, there is no other book where Bible prophecy continually comes true exactly as it is predicted in the Bible. There is no other book whatsoever. Once again, you are now listening to the Paul McGuire Report. <clears throat> this is Paul McGuire. The nation of Israel is God's prophetic super sign, so it's like one of the <clears throat> greatest biblical signs of the fulfillment of Bible prophecy to have ever occurred. So this incredible Bible prophecy, and remember, you know, you can study the, the Eastern mystical scriptures, you can study the teachings of Buddhism, whatever you want to study, but none of them, absolutely none of them, without exception, has 100% perfect track record in its prophecies coming miraculously true. And so I studied this, and I put it in my book, Power From On High, which you should get, by the way. When I say you should get it, I mean it. I almost, I am very selective about what I read because I, I spend so much time researching. And I try not to put in my books, well, I, I don't, for the most part, put in my books, uh, uh, you know, simply copies of what other people are writing. I, I don't do that because I'm assuming that chances are you've, you've read some of this stuff. And I don't want to bring you boring, redundant truths. I want to bring you truths that are alive. Okay, so this Times of the Gentiles. Now, Gentiles simply means someone who is not Jewish, someone who is not of the Jewish faith. So you have Jews, and then everybody else is considered by the Jews a Gentile or a non-Jew. That was a very uh, uh, intense word for me growing up in Jackson Heights, Queens, because that was, well, it was primarily an all-Jewish neighborhood. My friends were all Jews. I went to the public school, which was basically Jewish. Uh, again, all my friends were Jews, and I, I, I was really—they weren't necessarily religious Jews. I would say they were more secular Jews, but they were Jews. And I remember picking up a lot of the, the, the Jewish mindset, the Jewish thinking, the, the the Jewish point of view about their their perception of reality. And they would they would often—and it wasn't meant to be an insult—but they would often say, "You know, we're Jews," or "He's not a Jew; he's a Gentile." speaking of me. It wasn't meant as a put-down, it was meant as simply saying, he's not Jewish. And uh, that got me in a lot of trouble, because I really, I wasn't Jewish, but I wasn't Catholic, I wasn't a Protestant Christian. My parents raised me to be literally a secular humanist, or an existentialist. And we were to the area of transhumanism. This is when I was like in second grade, for crying out loud. So you can imagine the trouble I got into trying to, you know, one or two sentence answer. You know, the Catholic guys were the, the, the tough guys of the neighborhood, I guess. No, they were. And uh, they were on the hunt. They, they had an anti-Semitic streak in And they were on the hunt against Jews. So I'll never forget one day when they cornered me as I was crossing the street on my way to school, and they were, I don't know, five or six years older than I was. So they, they, they were far taller, far more muscular, far larger, 
because they were far older than I was. And they were attending the, the Catholic high school. There was a Catholic school in the neighborhood also. And and they didn't they said to me for openers, you know, we don't recognize you. Uh, you know, do you go to the Catholic Church on such and such and such and such? And I didn't know what to say because I knew what I was gonna say was gonna not be good a good thing to say. So I said, No, I I I I, I don't go to the Catholic school. And I didn't. And and then they said, Well, were you confirmed, et cetera, in some of those rituals? And because of my grandmother, I was. But that didn't bind me full grace with them. They had a real problem with the fact that I went to the public school. And then so they asked me, point blank, are you, uh, are you, are you Jewish? I said, no. And they said, well, what are you then if you're not Jewish? Because they knew I wasn't Catholic, at least from their determination. And I said, uh, I'm not Jewish. I am an existentialist. And you, just, you can figure out how that flew on the streets of New York City. And they said, an existentialist, what the blank is an existentialist? I said, that's what my parents raised me to be. An existentialist is somebody who, who believes in this physical present reality. And then they said, well, you know, you know, I wasn't going to give them a lecture in atheism or humanism because they were tall and they were big. Talk about the giants in the land. They were the giants in the land. And they would have pounded me to pieces. Back then, there was none of this zero tolerance nonsense. Back then, when I grew up in New York City, if people didn't like you or whatever, it was nuclear war. I mean, they would beat the living you-know-what out of you. And if that was common. You couldn't go home and cry to mama. You just had to protect yourself. So uh, uh, I said to them, my parents raised me to be an existentialist. I, I knew I wasn't going to talk my way out of this. So I was preparing to get clobbered. And uh, however, fortunately, as they were befuddled over whether or not, what, as they were confused as to whether or not what an existentialist was, fortunately, they were trying to get somewhere. And fortunately, they had stopped me in the middle of the street. So the light changed. And thankfully, I had a green light, they had a red light, and I got the heck out of there to escape. But, you know, that was my first experience, by the way, at Christian evangelism. My first experience with somebody preaching the gospel to me and trying to convert me was kind of like a mini crusades. The Catholic guys, they, they, they were mad because I was not Catholic. And they were going to uh, they were going to convert me, but they were going to convert me by the sword, you know, like like the days of old. Fortunately, I escaped. Okay, um, now my parents should have <laughs> warned me and said, "Paul, do yourself a favor, stay away from talking about religion." And if somebody asks you what religion you are, don't go around saying you're a humanist and, and uh, an existentialist. Because if they had just said that, I would have been uh, more on the alert. Okay, so, in any case, 
many of the Jews in the neighborhood that I lived in, their parents and many of their grandparents came directly from Nazi Germany and, and Europe. They had escaped either sometime earlier or they escaped during the Holocaust. And it was a massive number because the entire public school of all different grades was packed with kids that were Jewish who, whose, whose mothers and fathers were the, the sons and daughters of the largest demographic of concentration camp victims. And so I heard all about the, the, the Holocaust. I saw the, the, the tattoos. I heard the stories, the graphic stories. So, so this ridiculous idea that there was no Holocaust, uh, <clears throat> that was like uh, an historical anti-Semitic fantasy. It had no, and some of you may not like that, but I, can't, I, can't de I cannot deny my historical experience for the sake of whatever agenda somebody's pushing. Fact of the matter is, I saw a lot of elderly people who had managed to escape the Holocaust in Germany or, or survive somehow the, the concentration camps, and they had, you know, the, the tattoo numbers on their arms and hands in ink, their concentration camp numbers, which, by the way, when you think about it, the fact that they were numbered, now listen to me carefully, this is really important. The fact that all these Jewish people were numbered in the concentration camps, and then they were sentenced to death. The fact that they were numbered and given a, a concentration camp number, that is a foreshadowing of the mark of the beast. It's not just a Bible prophecy cartoon. It's an actual foreshadowing of what the Antichrist is going to do during the one world government, because he's going to slaughter them, but also he's going to identify them, and everybody will have a numerical tattoo mark. Okay, so so that even though that event took place in the history of World War II and the Nazis, the Nazis were into the occult. Do not think for a moment that there isn't massive historical and prophetic significance in the fact that the that the Jews all had. This mark, and in a sense, it was a mark of the beast. It was the mark of the occult regime of of Adolf Hitler. Now think about that, because God speaks to us through foreshadowings. And think about it for a moment. Think about it for a moment in the sense that uh, the people who who managed to survive. All the concentration camp prisoners got a mark on them, a mark of the beast, okay? Well, they didn't call it the mark of the beast, as far as I know. Maybe they did, I don't know. But they were given a mark, okay? A mark, which was their, their number. It was a tracking number, okay? So this tracking number comes back again when the, when the Antichrist comes to life, and the people are given the mark of, you know, loosely speaking, the mark of the beast. And so this is what's coming around the corner, and it will not be pretty. Okay, you're listening to the Paul McGuire Report. I'm Paul McGuire. Be sure to visit paulmcguire.us, paulmcguire.us. Stand with us. Ask God how you can help financially. Ask him how you can pray for us. Ask him how you can take 
strategic steps to undermine undermine the lying factory of the internet and dismantle the rigging system, which is keeping you from hearing what you need to hear, which is called the truth, because it's the truth that sets you free. And so this is a critical time in history. It's never been more critical because of the level of technology that we're dealing with in this time period. So visit paulmcguire.us and take steps to stand with us. Ask God what you can donate and contribute, and then do obey him. I mean, what, what is the big deal about obeying the Lord? Um, obey him, help us with the rigging, stand with us, and, and be an intercessory prayer warrior for me, my family, those associated with the ministry, and the people we're reaching. Visit paulmcguire.us. We'll be back in just a second. You're listening to the Paul McGuire Report. One of the things that we learned from recent history is that uh, Bible prophecy comes true. And uh, the prophecy of Zechariah has come true, and Luke, and in Genesis. And these are all, are, are all prophecies that deal with the, the miraculous prophetic return of the Jews to the land of Israel in the last days, which occurred in 1948, when finally the Jews uh, were released from captivity uh, and the Holocaust and the, the mass deaths and the mass persecutions that were happening to the Jews by the millions in Nazi Germany. And remember, the Nazis were all at the highest level. They were Satanists, they were occultists, they hated the Jews, uh, they sought to, to slaughter the Jews, and they did slaughter the Jews in concentration camps, uh, in, in other forms of uh, gassing them to death, burning them to death in the ovens, the concentration camps. The, the Nazi scientists would, would carry out cruel and barbaric and inhuman uh, medical, so-called medical experimentation on them. But the so-called medical experimentation was really <clears throat> kind of like uh, a horror show. They would they would freeze the young children and the adults. They would freeze them in freezing cold water, or they would boil them to death. And I won't get into what all the experiment uh, ex scientific experiments constituted, because they were all uh, acts of pure sadism and acts of pure cruelty. There, there was no medical justification for them. The only medical justification for the Nazi uh, scientists was they were experimenting with occultic mechanisms for scientific and occultic mind control, which in which they would shatter the human personality with powerful psychedelic drugs and then conduct experiments with powerful psychedelic drugs, uh, powerful uh, uh, things that affect your consciousness, consciousness like like long-term sleep deprivation, like starvation, like opening up people's brains surgically and stimulating the brain with electrodes. Anything, no matter how cruel and disgusting, that offered them the possibility of dominating and controlling the human mind, the Nazis were involved in. And secretly, there were people in Britain that were involved in these Nazi experiments. And that, those people would be people like Aldous Huxley, author of Brave New World, who he, along with the Nazi scientists and along with American scientists, 
developed an entire psychological warfare arsenal designed to transform people into robots and control their minds and turn them into Manchurian candidates and, and dominate their minds and program them to be assassins or sex slaves or or they would program them to have uh, that we program people to have multiple personalities and that you could access these multiple personalities or multiple levels of personalities through use of hypnotic code words. And the Nazis and the Aldous Huxleys and the American scientists were in this in a big way. A big way, by the way. Okay. So, um, God, miraculously, as it is predicted in Bible prophecy, God uh, miraculously uh, sets the Jews free and helps them conquer their enemies in the 1967 Six-Day War. And this Six-Day War was a direct fulfillment of Bible prophecy that had been waiting fulfillment for 2,500 years. Now, as I said, a good friend of mine who has now gone on to be with the Lord as Israeli General Shimon Aram was directly and physically involved in all the modern wars in Jerusalem, beginning with the miraculous rebirth of Jerusalem in 1948, along with the 1948 war and the 1967 Six-Day War. I'll read you a quote from Zechariah 14, 2-4. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem. This is happening even now. Hamas invading Israel and the potential involvement of Iran and Russia and other nations, the potential involvement in these other nations also participating in this invasion against Israel. It's happening now. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured, and the houses plundered, and the women ravished, and half the city exiled, but the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on the day of battle. Now, what does that mean? It means that on the day where God is going to gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city of Jerusalem uh, will be captured, and the houses plundered, the, woman, the women ravished, and half of the city exiled, but the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on the day of battle. In that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a large valley, so that half the mountain will move toward the south and the other half towards the north. All right, so. This is God's prophetic word of a coming futuristic invasion of Israel and the fact that God will supernaturally deliver Israel from this invasion. So, this is God's prophetic super sign. Now, I want to touch on something that you, you need to be aware of in terms of need to be able to look at reality, analyze the data, and then Based on the data and the historical research that you have conducted, you can then easily apply the data and the historical research that you have collected. You can easily apply that into a relatively simple 
prophetic calendar, a precise prophetic calendar of future events. So it should not come as a surprise to you when all these destructive, violent uh, events begin to transpire in your nation. Because if you had taken the time to study history, if you had taken the time to study history and study Bible prophecy, you will see that the way things are playing out now in America and around the world in regards to the nation of Israel, in regards to the last days, in regards to global government, in regards to a one-world economic system, in regards to a uh, one-world economic system, one-world government, and one-world religion. You will see that what happened in the past is now repeating itself in our current times. So we are we are replaying the events of past history. So if we paid attention to the events of past history, we should be able to approximate what is going to happen and what is going to befall nations like America. So let me give you an example. Nazi Germany was very much like the United States of America. It was a relatively prosperous, prosperous, hard-working, working-class nation, middle-class nation. It had, at the time, many fervent Christian values, including a strong work ethic. However, uh, Nazi Germany, as, as well as many other European nations, succumbed to, to a spirit of fear. They, the leaders in Germany allowed Germany to get involved in World War I in which they attempted to invade France and Europe and England. And then, after they were defeated in World War I, uh, the, the, the Nazi Germany people received you know, millions and millions of dollars uh, from the foreign nations in an effort to reboot their economy. Okay, So, then, the, the, the events that were problematic to begin with, they began to pop up again. And so, you had an economic crisis that came to uh, Germany. So Germany experienced this massive economic crisis, and it wasn't prepared for it. In the economic crisis, the biggest problem was that the banks, like they are today in America and the rest of the world, the banks were rigging the banking system. The banks were rigging the economy. The banks were creating artificial inflation. Uh, artificial, uh, they were trying to 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 uh, prop up their economy like many nations have done throughout history, and they did it by they began printing massive amounts of money uh, that were essentially worthless and based on nothing. So the German banking system, which was connected to the international bankers like Rothschild and the globalist elite. They, they helped Germany in a very deceptive way. They began to print massive amounts of money, or German marks, or German dollars, in a desperate effort to float their economy and to stimulate their economy. And so, when you do that, whenever a government begins to print money based on, no, based on nothing of actual tangible value, 
it runs into a major economic crisis. It's a law of economics. You cannot buy your way out of a recession, out of a depression. You cannot buy your way out of an economic crisis, even though it's tried over and over again. In order for an economy to recover, you have to be able to build back and not build back better. That's idiotic. You have to be able to build back your basic economic manufacturing, production, importing, exporting, all the things that generate a viable economy have to be put back into working order in order for any nation to rebound from an economic crisis. There's no shortcut around it. So Nazi Germany, it got so bad in Nazi Germany that the German mark became worth essentially nothing. It was valueless. And that was because the international bankers deliberately set up Hitler and Nazi Germany to take the fall, to take the blame. And the way they set up uh, Nazi Germany to take the fall is they, they, they got money and they printed, you know, endless amounts of marks of, of money that was backed up by nothing of tangible value. So they were print they were making the age-old mistake of printing money from nothing. They were printing money from nothing. They were printing, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, circulating it into the streets, circulating it into the economy, and hoping that they could they could create an illusory economy based on nothing. And so people would literally have to go to the grocery store with with wheelbarrows filled with, you know, hundreds of single-dollar bills or thousands of single-dollar bills called the German mark, and they were trying to use the inflated German dollars to buy food or bread or whatever. So like back then, it could easily cost you 100 to $200 to buy a loaf of bread. The people were starving. Now, this was allowed this was this this situation was actually created by the international banking families the same people that used Adolf Hitler and the Nazis as a pawn and they used the international banking dollars as a deceptive mechanism uh so that the german people thought they were that they were having economic prosperity once again but but it was all a ruse because the money that was being printed was money that was being printed from nothing, no value, no gold, no silver, no jewels, just a worthless piece of paper to back up a worthless German dollar or German mark. So again, Germany now was in super crisis, just like they were at the beginning of World War I, because the international bankers set up the Germans in World War I, and then they set up the bank, they set up the the German banks in World War II. And the, the goal of it was to print money from nothing. Now, that has been done on a regular basis in the United States and governments around the world. On a regular basis uh, in America and other nations around the world, governments have attempted to print hundreds of millions of dollars of worthless dollars or, or worthless money money that is printed and backed by nothing. And 
the end result is always the same. When you flood your economy with worthless money, you end up in, an in a global and national economic collision which detonates and destroys and brings down the entire house of cards so that all of your money becomes worthless. It becomes worthless because it's valueless. Now notice what they're doing right now in America and have been for quite some time. Our politicians have been busy like bees printing money from nothing. They're printing money from nothing with the false expectation that this will stimulate an economic recovery. The people that are guiding these decisions are the same people behind the global reset. They're the same people behind the, the, the false economy, printing money from nothing. And they are the same people. And who are these people? These are the same people that are behind the international banking families. They are the globalist elite, and they are the Luciferian elite. And so they have been using this trick for thousands and thousands of years, printing money for nothing, and they're doing it now. And what it does is it, it's a temporary satisfaction, a temporary narcotic for the American people who are deceived into thinking that happy days are here again. But happy days are not here again because nobody has gotten in under the hood and fixed the real structural problems that are crushing and destroying our economy. So, for example, we have an exodus of millions, uh, you know, we have millions of people coming into the United States of America to feed off of our system. We have millions of people coming into America who, who are going to get free college, free medical. We have millions and millions of people flooding into America to, to get in on all the freebies, all the socialist gifts and toys. They're going to, they're going to get all this free stuff. Harvard degrees, Yale, uh, perfect job training, preferential treatment and job hiring. It's all, it's all happening now because this is a, because what the politicians are doing is that this is a strategic way of buying and securing countless millions of new voters who are already pre-programmed to go along with socialism. All these workers from South America and nations like South America have been programmed since childhood to, to be socialist-oriented, to believe the government will take care of all of your needs, to believe that the government will distribute wealth and education and free health care and everything else. Now, the question has to be asked, who is going to pay for all? Who, the government is becoming Santa Claus to, to the, the people from foreign nations. So, who is it that's going to pay for all the gifts and the presents that Santa Claus is going to distribute to the millions and millions of people sneaking across our border? Who will be fed? Who will be given housing? Who will be given uh, uh, various forms of welfare, et cetera, et cetera? Who is it that's paying the, the big bill for all of these free goodies that are being given out? Well, it's all being paid for by hardworking, tax-paying, middle-class and working-class Americans. It is the middle-class 
and the working class Americans that are paying the millions and millions of dollars to purchase the free lunch programs, the free college, the free junior college, the free uh, housing payments, the free you know, discounted loans, all of these goodies that are being distributed totally by free to, to the, the illegals, all of the stuff that they're getting for free is coming from somewhere. So what they're doing is that they believe, the politicians believe, that they want to un- enroll those voters because those voters are already programmed to be socialists. They're already programmed to look towards uh, a socialist government to meet all their needs. So, for, so the politicians want to strategically own them for many generations, and they will own them by buying and paying for all of their needs and goodies and luxuries and everything else. But the money that they're going to get to to buy and own and control all the illegal votes is actually it's the money that belongs to the hard-working middle class and lower class and other classes who work their tails off, who work their posteriors off, who pay massive taxes. In other words, the hard-working American middle class and the hard-working American lower class are working like slaves so that our government can pay for all the billions of dollars in free goodies that they're distributing free to the uh, middle class and the lower class. It's tragic, but it's true. And And the politicians don't care. The politicians are ruthless. They will do whatever it takes by hook or crook to buy or steal control over any segment of the population so they can guarantee that, that they will be elected season after season. Now, this disrupts our entire economy because what you have in America right now is, this has nothing to do with racism. Get it out of your head. This has nothing at all to do with racism. This has to do with flooding millions and millions of Americans into America and giving them all these free benefits which are paid for by the tax dollars of the working class and the middle class. And so this is an economic albatross around our necks. You cannot print money for nothing. That's, that's a trickery mechanism. It's a, it's a trickery mechanism designed to seduce and placate millions of people to vote for big government. But remember, big government doesn't give away anything for free. The price tag from big government for getting all these economic freebies, the price tag is that the average American, middle class and working class, or of whatever race that is paying taxes, etc., the average American, they are and their children are and future generations are going to be in mega debt to the tune of hundreds of trillions of dollars in debt because we paid for all the, the, the luxury benefits of the working of, of the uh, illegals that are came across the border. We were paying for their benefits. Now, what happens is we were paying for their benefits, and nobody tells you the truth. We were paying for their benefits because those benefits were paid for out of <clears throat> our tax dollars. So 
the working class and middle class work hard. They generate tax dollars. They pay their taxes. And that tax dollar money, instead of rebuilding America, instead of bringing in manufacturing to America, instead of solving the health care crisis in America, instead of uh, uh, paying off the debt for future Americans, our politicians don't care. They don't care if they literally drive this bus we're in straight into hell. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not exaggerating. The politicians that we have in office are so greedy and so sold out and so corrupt morally that they don't give a you-know-what if they drive this crazy train bus called our economy straight into hell as long as they are able to get voted in on the very next election cycle. That's all they care about, a short-term fix. Now, the problem is this puts us and our children and grandchildren into massive debt. Massive debt makes it very expensive for our economy to be productive because we have an albatross around our necks called massive debt. So the only way we can fix the problem is we have to tighten our belts and and not allow politicians to to buy votes by giving away free goodies and free gifts. And that means a return to a sound fiscal policy. When we have a sound fiscal policy, our economy, at least at this point, our economy has the capacity to roar. Our economy has the capacity to explode in productivity, invention, manufacturing, <clears throat> reproduction, sales, jobs, uh, you know, with all the technological know-how that America possesses, there is no logical or economic reason that our economy should not be exploding in the takeoff mode. The only reason that it's not exploding in the takeoff mode is because our economy is deliberately being sabotaged, deliberately being undermined by uh, the globalist elite, the international bankers, the globalist corporations who are all literally raping our economy in order to make short-term profits. So you say, you know, I'm not interested in politics. I don't care about voting and all that stuff. The only problem with all that blah, 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 blah stuff you just said is, is that you are tying a noose around the necks of the American people. Once again, you're listening to the Paul McGuire Report. This is Paul McGuire. Be sure to visit paulmcguire.us and stand with us in tangible ways, in spiritual warfare, in, in fighting against rigging, because rigging is a frontal assault and a frontal attack on your free speech. By the way, the three major mega corporations which control the world's com uh, uh, economy, such as State Street, such as Vanguard, such as BlackRock, those three massive trillionaire families, and these are owned by the wealthiest, super-rich families in the world. They're the same families that controlled our monetary system in 1913, 1914, with the passage of the Federal Reserve Act. They're the same economic super-families that claim to be Illuminati bloodline families, and they claim to, to go all the way back to ancient times where they believed through their interbreeding with fallen angels, they gained an advantage 
over the rest of the human race. Now, these same families in fulfillment with Bible prophecy are they're trillionaire families, they're billionaire families, they have vast, vast sums of unbelievable hidden wealth, and they are conspiring to bring about a total planetary dictatorship for their benefit. They had a change in consciousness and opinion going back about 75 years ago. Once upon a time, the globalist elite, the Luciferian elite, once upon a time, they believed in the, the philosophical concept of the humanist French Revolution, which was called noblesse oblige, which simply meant the obligation of the nobility. And the humanistic idea developed in the French Revolution was that it was the obligation of the noble class or the obligation of the wealthy to act as caretakers, uh, to act as benefactors, to act as good guiders of a society for the benefit of society. And, and that, how, however well they, they paid attention to that uh, uh, you know, obligation, that directly benefited all sectors of our society, because to whatever degree there was a guiding hand blessing and prospering our nation. But <clears throat> beginning in the late 1800s, with the birth, notice how an action and an idea happened at the exact same time. So let me, let me decode all the lies you were taught in school that were called history and economics. Let me decode this for you in a couple of sentences. The way it works is like this. This wealthy superclass, this wealthy ruling class, is currently ru ruling the world. And they have, for many years, chosen to behave with a certain amount of goodness. They have chosen to behave with a certain amount of benevolence, okay? But about 70 years ago, which is the exact same time with the birth of philosophical secular humanism, the exact same time with the birth of Darwinian evolution and the ideas like might makes right, and at the exact same time that the philosophies of might makes right Darwinian evolution, there is no God, only brute force is God. So we have two factors. We have the, the internal philosophy, idea, uh, brain power segment of our reality, where at one time the super rich and the super wealthy sought to do good things, sought to be benevolent to society, sought to be kind of like enlightened guiders of society. And all of society, to a degree, benefited. Uh, due to their altruistic behavior, okay? But, because that's because they lived, the super wealthy and super rich largely lived in a society that absorbed Judeo-Christian values. And this went on for, for, for centuries. Now, in the late 1800s and the early 1900s, society went through a massive paradigm shift. Society, and especially the super wealthy, the elite class, the ruling class, they, they changed their mindset. They changed their fundamental philosophical belief. They decided that they were no longer going to be benevolent to the common man. They decided that they were going to reject what Bertrand Russell called conventional or traditional moral morality. 
they decided that they were going to completely discard any notion of being good and kind and compassionate. They rejected all of that harshly, and instead they rejected harshly Christian ideas or the ideas to whatever degree of Plato or to the ideas to whatever degree of uh, uh, some of the other Greek philosophers that emphasized benevolence. They began to reject that, and they began to violently disregard all these notions of compassion and caring and equity and fairness. And they, they, they had a revolution in their thinking, and they now decided, they changed their thought patterns, and they now decided that they believed in evolution, Darwin's theory of evolution, which is the foundation of secular humanism. They rejected evolution, and they now believed in this, that might makes right. So the, the most powerful people have the, the, the brutal right to rule and reign. And this is what they embrace. Might makes right. The most pow- the fittest survive, the most powerful survive. And that if you are the wealthiest, the strongest, and have the biggest armies and the best technology, then you have that. This is their change. They radically changed, and they now believe you have a violent right to take over, dominate, control, oppress, enslave, and abuse and treat and treat with the utmost cruelty your fellow man. The days of a compassionate capitalism are dead. You understand what happened? It has happened in the late 1800s. Now they believe that they, because of their wealth, their power, their genetics, their massive land holdings, they believe that they have the right to dominate and rule the rest of planet Earth. So how this plays out is that these globalist elite, and they believe that they are elite, they believe they're genetically superior, the globalist elite, the wealthiest trillionaire families, the wealthiest billionaire families on planet Earth, believe they have the right to rule and reign every aspect of our society because of their wealth, their power, their education, and their technology. And they actually now believe that they are God kings. Let me say it again. They actually believe, as they did in times of old, that they are the God kings. Now, this is a revolution in the thinking. Now, the the consequence of their revolution of thinking is they believe they have the genetic right to dominate by force anyone that they perceive to be weaker, weaker economically, weaker philosophically with technology, with military arms, with armies with superior guns, etc., they now have made a pivotal change, and they believe they have the right to dominate and rule and reign with absolute brute force. It's bone-chilling. So now we live in an environment where planet Earth is convulsing and it is in the middle of a violent sociological and spiritual revolution, because guess whose ideas they're following? They are following the ideas of Lucifer, the shining one, because it is Lucifer that believes that right makes right. And Lucifer believes that that absolute power gives you the right to exercise absolute dominion. They believe they have the Darwinian right to take over planet Earth by brute force. And this belief flows directly out of the globalist elites one-time 
allegiance to biblical Christian principles, and now they have rejected biblical Christian principles, and they now wholeheartedly embrace uh, Darwinian evolution, might makes right, man is an animal, the fittest survive philosophy. This is what they now embrace. Now, notice that that massive paradigm shift occurred at the exact same time that the Nazis also embraced this might-makes-right philosophy. The, the shift came at the exact same time when soulless technology uh, ha has rise to the point where nations and individuals can become superpowers and gods, and now it is a relatively simple thing to enslave your average man and woman with technology, but also to enslave your average man and woman with the scientific technology of scientific mind control. So these are the major game changers that have occurred on planet Earth. What we have seen, and you have seen and I have seen, we have seen the massive accelerated erosion of love, compassion, forgiveness, caring, agape love, and all of that has now been replaced with might makes right, the fittest shall survive, and a, and, and a society of total brutality. Game changer is happening. Now, as Christians, we understand that the game changer from love to cruelty, from compassion to benevolence, from kindness to cruelty, we understand as Christians analyzing history that all of these paradigm shifts in transformation all have occurred due to the rise of science and rationalism replacing biblical Christianity. We understand that a new regime has taken over the earth and that the people who rule the earth right now subscribe to what is regarded as the Luciferian elite or the satanic elite. So their belief system is allied to Satan and the Luciferian elite. And not only that, they are following item by item the teachings of Lucifer and Satan and the demonic realm. They are teaching, preaching, practicing, and implementing Luciferian and Satanic doctrines as their final guiding points. So in the final analysis, what they now believe is that they are gods because Satan is God, and they now have given their minds over to the greatest delusion in all of human history. The elite, the globalist elite or the Luciferian elite, have given their minds and hearts and souls totally over to a new way of thinking in which they believe, the Luciferian and globalist elite, they now believe that they are genetically superior, and because they are genetically superior, they have the DNA right to conquer and subjugate all other men and women by brute force science and technology. So, what we cannot escape is the, the, the duality that travels before us. It is not an accident that the Luciferian elite, that the globalist elite, are following the precepts of Bible prophecy, which are meant to be warnings, 
that they are following those things as their final uh, uh, authority, their, their final philosophical uh, belief system. And so you see when this transpired in the 1800s in Germany with philosophers like Nietzsche, who talked about might being right and the power of the will, and he who has the most powerful will has the genetic DNA right to dominate his fellow man. It's all about that. It's all about that. And as the Bible says, that in the last days, evil will keep growing worse and worse. In the last days, evil will keep going, growing worse and worse. And in the last days, the ideas, the philosophies, the belief systems of Satan and Satanism will continue to expand, will continue to to bury itself in the infrastructure of society. And our society itself, as year after year and as month after month goes by, our society is, is willing and able to take a giant leap into the future and to, and to fully embrace the doctrines of hell, the doctrines of demons, and the doctrines of the fallen angels. Our society is no longer neutral to their ideas. Our society is now fertile and receptive to those ideas. And they intend to serve their master Lucifer in this coup d'etat, in this revolution against the things of God, because God is love. And in their coup d'etat against God Almighty, they intend to overthrow the true God, trample on the true God, and they fully intend to carry out a spiritual revolution, a technological revolution, a scientific revolution that incorporates DNA modification, it incorporates mass transformation, scientific mind control, the occult, and an entire plethora of satanically inspired ideas. So there's only one way to defeat this, and that is to recognize where we are right now in space-time and history, and we have only one way and one option to defeat our satanic enemy. We must re respond to the call of the Holy Spirit now while we can still hear his call. We must respond to the call of the Holy Spirit now. We, we must rise by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. We must stand strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then under the anointing and the infusion of the, of the Holy Spirit, we must overwhelm, we must overcome, and we must conquer every man, woman, child, organizational entity which has bowed its knee to worship and serve Satan. We must overwhelm them, we must overcome them, and we must conquer them. Because if we do not conquer them and overwhelm them through effective strategic spiritual warfare, I promise you, they in turn will turn the tide, and they will in turn ferociously attack us with the power of hell and the technology of hell. And just like their master Lucifer anticipates, their conquest is to be brought about with total cruelty and total annihilation. So we have a job to do. We can either lay down and be conquered, or we can conquer or be conquered. We must remember that God is love, and the ultimate power in the universe that God has given us 
is the fact that God is love, but the love of God is described by Jesus as a detonation, as a dunamis, dynamite explosive force that has the inert power or the inertia to disintegrate the strongholds of Satan in the invisible realm. If we do that, if the Christians in Germany had stopped marrying the theology of unbelief in Germany, if the Christians in Germany had stopped bowing to satanic ideologies, and if the Christians in Germany had risen when God commanded them to rise, if the Christians in Germany had risen when God commanded them to rise, they could have risen in triumph over the Goliath of their age, over the Satan of their age, and they could have harnessed the power, the dunamis dynamite power of God, or power from on high, they could have harnessed that power and taken back the land that God gave them to occupy when Jesus said, Occupy until I come. God bless you. This is Paul McGuire. Visit paulmcguire.us. <laughs>